The Word of God, Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was depleted and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and she shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let me introduce uh, Greg. Um, as you know, Greg Savitt, he is uh, from with Chosen Ministries. He has a table in the back. You might want to visit him afterwards. Some really great materials. But let me just tell you a little bit of background about Greg. Uh, he reminds me a little bit about the Apostle Paul. He was raised as a conservative Jew in the suburb of Chicago, not far away from where I, I grew up. He learned about the Jewish tradition, liturgy, and Hebrew language. Uh, but didn't really ever remember the rabbi talking about God. You could know him personally. Uh, and about the age of 16, some Christian friends uh, told him about Jesus. And I think he talked to a rabbi, and he kind of poo-pooed it, right? Yeah. And, and, um, but then again, we, he, uh, he learned later, after high school, he attended the University of Illinois and li lived in a Jewish fraternity. And then he, uh, after graduation, he worked at an accounting firm, Ernest & Young, um, an interesting thing, and I and I they actually came to our church, uh, Winneka Bible Church, the Liberty the 
liberated wailing wall. It was a mobile music team of Jews for Jesus that came to the church. Watching those Jews who believed in Jesus and proclaiming him from the stage helped Greg to accept the truth about the Messiah. He felt so strongly about, uh, about Jesus being the Messiah that in 1997, he left his job as a CPA to become a full-time evangelist for Jews for Jesus. In 2011, he joined the Ministry of Chosen People Ministries in South Florida. And uh, since 1997, he's been in full-time ministry with discipleship and leading several Jewish outreaches. I present to you, Greg, it's an honor for you to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, um, I want to ask if any of you guys didn't get one of these. Could, it's our chosen people slip. Could you raise your hand? Because a lot of you slipped up. And if you didn't get one of these, just raise your hand. And this is, uh, I'll tell you about what to do with this at, at the end of the service. But it's a lot about our ministry. But, man, can I say shalom? Oh, you guys kind of know Hebrew. I thought it'd be okay. Let me tell you about my trip to Marquette. First of all, I got off the plane and I said to Dave Powers, I'm like, where's Marquette University? So I didn't know that, but I had two bucket lists totally fulfilled. First of all, Dave Powers had a sign that said Greg Savitt when I got off the plane. <laughs> and I was just interviewed on NBC News, so that's pretty cool. I mean, but um, I am just a nice Jewish boy that loves Jesus. Uh, I am 100% Jewish. I'm 100% Christian. I get all the holidays off. How does that work? <laughs> but... I'm from South Florida, and I don't know if you know about South Florida. That's like Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm Beach, and there's 750,000 Jewish people that live there. And I can't prove this, but I think Jesus was facing towards Miami when he said, the harvest is plenty and the workers are few, because uh, that's what I do. I work with Chosen People Ministries. We've only been around 125 years. We're the oldest and largest ministry. Jews for Jesus, you might have heard of, they've, uh, they came out of Chosen People. Uh, but this morning I want to share a message which I titled The Most Dangerous Chapter in the Bible for Jewish People. I believe rabbis wish Isaiah took a nap on this one. Um, we have this book, Isaiah 53, and I actually sold out. I didn't know if you guys, you guys really wanted to hear about this, but um, if you want to pre-order it, now, this is a great book. Uh, you just give me your name and you know, give me your money. I will send you this when I get back home. Um, this is a great book to give to Jewish people, so read it and then give it to your unsaved Jewish people. Um, this is amazing because we put this book on Facebook, and 12,000 people order this book. 250 of them were unsaved Jewish people, and that's like red meat for evangelists like me. Uh, when I used to be with Jews for Jesus, we did a lot of street evangelism in New York. And I don't know why, but somehow when I got the name, address, and phone numbers of unsaved Jewish people, they were always wrong. I don't know why. They just never gave me the right thing. So the beauty about this is they order a book. They're going to give you the right email and the right phone number and the right address because they want the book. And it gets better than that. By the time I call these people, they've gone on our website. Maybe they've read the whole Isaiah 53. Maybe they watched a 30-minute documentary by the Day of Discovery. It's beautifully done on the mystery of Isaiah 53. Then they get this book and they read it. This is not a cold call. I call this a lukewarm call. And there's been a lot of Jewish people that come to faith. I'm going to tell you those stories a little bit later on. Um, 
But most Jewish people are unfamiliar with Isaiah 53 because the Jewish people read a Torah portion and a prophet portion every week. And would you believe it that they skip Isaiah 53? They go from Isaiah 51, Isaiah 52 to verse 12, and whoops, let's skip Isaiah 53. And why do they do this? Well, there's a great rabbi named Claude Montefiore, and I used to live in Bloomington, Illinois, and there was a temple called Montefiore's Temple, and I didn't really know why, but then I looked him up in Google, and he said, the reason why don't we say Isaiah 53, wait for it, it sounds too much like Jesus. Now, call me crazy, but if it sounds like Jesus, if it looks like Jesus, if it walks like a duck, if it talks like a duck, you know, maybe it is about Jesus. But they never, ever believe that. So I love it when I witness to Jewish people, unsaved Jewish people. I like to always start with Isaiah 53. And I, if you ever have an unsaved Jewish person, you should really try with Isaiah 53 because it is so powerfully talking about Jesus. And I love to share Isaiah 53. And almost every single time when I'm done reading it, I don't tell them it's Isaiah 53. And I get them done, they're like, oh, that's the Gospel of John, isn't it? Or is that that Paul guy? You know, and I'm like, no, it's Isaiah 53. Now, this is amazing. When I'm going to go through this verse that Isaiah wrote, Isaiah wrote Isaiah chapter 53, 753. 750 years before Jesus was born. Pretty amazing how prophetic it is. Um, there's a holiday that just came up called Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. What that holiday is, it's Mother's Day, it's Christmas Day, it's Easter all rolled up in one for Jewish people. They will always find themselves on the Day of Atonement. Why? Because that is the day that your sins are, not your sins, but you are decided God decides whether you're going to live another year, whether your name is written in the book of life. So, hey, that's pretty serious. That's so serious that I saw my dad every year squirm in his chair for eight hours at the temple because everybody wants to live another year. But I want to share with you something that I found, and this is what, this was in the liturgy on the Day of Atonement. This is the most holiest day that Jewish people live, and this was about, I found this, it was about 1930, and it's less than like 100 years ago, Jewish people were saying this liturgy, and when I say this, tell me if you've just heard this. He hath borne the yoke of our iniquities. He is wounded because of our transgressions. He beareth our sin on his shoulder. We shall be healed by his wound at the time that when the eternal will create the Messiah as a new create, 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 creature. creature. I mean, is that pretty amazing? That's Isaiah 53. They're quoting in the Day of Atonement service something from Isaiah 53. Now, I'm going to give you a couple, script, a couple of quotes from rabbis. And I know some of you are probably checking it out. Who cares? Why do I think? Why do I care about what these rabbis say? Because what these rabbis said thousands of years ago, it's called the Jewish Talmud. And you're glad you're not Jewish when I'm going to tell you what the Talmud is. It's like the size of an Encyclopedia Britannica. It's literally Jewish rabbis' thoughts on the scriptures for the last 2,000 years. I got a bad enough time understanding the Bible. I mean, and, but this was one rabbi he wrote in the Talmud. And this is his commentary on Isaiah 53. And this was 200 years after Jesus. 
200 AD. This was Rabbi Jonathan Ben Uziel. He says, our ancient rabbis with one accord noted that this chapter is about God's anointed one, the Messiah. That's pretty interesting. Behold, my servant Messiah shall prosper. He shall be high and increase and be exceedingly strong as the house of Israel looked to him. So this is in the oral law. This is what rabbis believe they're inspired. Another, another portion of the Talmud, this is in Sanhedrin 98b. The rabbi says, what is Messiah's name? And they say his name is Leper Scholar. Why? Because he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him a leper smitten by God and afflicted. That certainly sounds like Isaiah chapter 53 to me. And Isaiah 53 says it takes up our pain and he took say it takes up our pain and suffering. The last one I'm going to read is the Zohar. You probably say who cares about the Zohar? Well, if you're into if you're into Madonna and you're into Hollywood and Ashton Kutcher and Britney Spears, Demi Moore, Lindsay Logan, they're all into the Kabbalah. It's this crazy Jewish mysticism that they all wear. Watch, they have like a red uh, ribbon on their arm. And that's symbolized, symbol, their wrist. It's symbolized there in the Kabbalah. So their meta-narrative, their Bible is something called the Zohar. And this is what they study and they read. This is what all those stars do. And listen to what it says in the Zohar about Isaiah 53. It says, the Messiah enters and he summons every pain and every chastisement of Israel. All these come and rest on him. There's been no man to bear Israel's chastisement for the progression of the law as it is written. Surely our sicknesses he has carried. So this mysterious person in the Zohar talks about Isaiah 53 is a person who's carried our transgressions and who carries our sickness. I don't know. I think that's very pretty interesting. Now, what happened was most rabbis believe that Isaiah 53 is talking about a suffering servant, about a Messiah, a somebody of prominence who God puts on the sins of the world, and they believed it was coming. What happened was about 1100s, Christians were doing a real good job in polemics. They were arguing with the rabbis. They're like, hey, what's about Isaiah 53? It's clearly talking about the Messiah, Messiah who's pierced, who's crushed, who's beaten. So as this rabbi in 1100, the most brilliant rabbi, his name is Rashi, uh, probably never heard of him, but he's like the uh, Zondervan commentary for Jewish people. They all look to him. And he says, oh, no, 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 that's not, that's, that whole chapter is not talking about Isaiah. That's talking about the nation of Israel. So if you talk to Jewish people that know a little bit about the Bible, they'll say it is Israel. But there are a lot of reasons why there's no possible way that this chapter will be Israel. First things is a lot of rabbis like Maimonides and David, Rabbi Kimshi, they said it's not rabbi, it's not Israel because all the rabbis beforehand thought he was the Messiah who was who took on the sins of Israel. And if you believe, like the rabbis believe, that the Talmud is inspired, those earlier writings are like, you know, Supreme Court precedents. I mean, they are law. Secondly, nation of Israel, go read Isaiah 53 again. You're going to find 49 mentions of a first-person pronoun. He, him, he, him, he, him. There's no way. That's talking about the nation Israel. Third, uh, it says in verse 8, he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people, 
uh, he was stricken. This, if this is Israel, Israel dies. And Israel dies for the Gentiles. When, when did Israel ever die and be also dying for itself? That doesn't make any sense. Also, if Israel died, uh, Houston, we got a problem with Jeremiah 31, 36. Because it says, only if these decrees, the sun to shine by day, the moon and stars to shine by night, vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will the descendants of Israel never cease before me. So Israel's always existed. It took a little nap for 2,000 years, but it's back in prominence. Um, finally, it says in Isaiah 53 that this is a, a, an innocent lamb who goes to slaughter. It's a righteous person. And if you ever read Isaiah chapter 1, you will find out that God does not have a great opinion of Israel at this time. First of all, he's like, you know, you're a reprobate sinner. The ox knows its manger. You don't know anybody. You're like Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not listening to your sacrifice. Now, can you explain to me how the whole Isaiah, Israel's a reprobate sinner. They're against God. They're evil. God's not listening to their sacrifices. Oh, but all of a sudden, Isaiah 53, they're the perfect lamb. You know, they're the perfect righteous atonement. And, you know, only sacrifices of animals, they had to be perfect. If you ever go back and read Exodus 12 on Passover, God says to declare a lamb on the 10th day of Nisan. Do you know Passover is on the 14th day of Nisan where they slandered the lambs? Why? The rabbis say, and I agree with the rabbis on this one, so that that lamb was without spot, without blemish, and it was undefiled. So this had to be a perfect sacrifice. So I think if you look at Isaiah 53, and we can ask some questions, okay? First, is the subject of Isaiah 53 totally blameless? Well, I just showed you how the lamb was innocent that led with slaughter, and there was nothing that caused him to, to, to be uh, killed, okay? So I think that Jesus is blameless here. Also, why did this person die for? If this is Israel, when did Israel ever die for you guys? If you even read the New Testament, Jesus like, you know, uh, Gentiles, you guys are like dogs. You know, I mean, I mean, that's what the, the wisdom of the day was. I mean, they were, they were separate from you. Uh, you know, you guys didn't know God. So why would, would God do that? Now, I want to ask a question. What happened to this person in this chapter and who is causing this? And um, I also, you know, if you ever witness to somebody, make them read the scripture to, and to themselves because that way, their argument is against the text, not you. You can say, well, what is the text saying? You know, and then it takes you out of the equation. It's a, let, let's God's words fight its own battle. You know, he's much better than what I could say, what any of the missionaries here. Um, and, you know, ask them, you know, what is this, who is this person and what is causing this? Because this person here, he took up our pain and our suffering, yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. So this person takes up our pain and suffering, and God is taking out and afflicting him. And if you look at the crucifixion, it was the most heinous, miserable torture ever invented by mankind. Because first of all, when you, you know, we see in the, in, the, in the pictures that Jesus was pierced in his hands. That's not true. In order to, in order to hang on the cross, he was pierced right in here, 
And it, this is a, this is a, I don't know what the name of this, a nerve, but it's the most uh, tender nerve in the human body. And then he crosses his feet and it goes right through there. And the first thing that happens, oh, by the way, you've been whipped 39 times. So your back is hanging off uh, and there's, you're stuck against a, a, a tree and the, you hang there and people don't realize you die by asphyxiation because you cannot push that air out. And how do you push that air out? Only way to push it out is to push yourself up. Now you got a spike in between your in your in your between your legs. And what happens is your body, the your heart beats so much trying to exhale all this carbon monoxide, most likely you die of a higher heart attack. And that's why in, in the book of Psalms 22, it says, My heart is like wax, because his heart beat it so much, you're trying to exhale. And sometimes people would be on there for uh, one or two days. And they were going to break Jesus's legs to speed up his death. Because if you broke their legs, you can't push the air out. So that's a horrible way to be punished. And when he did this, he was pierced for our transgressions. Now, wait a second. Isn't that interesting? He's pierced for our transgressions. And it's interesting because crucifixion has not even been invented yet. Pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon, and by his stripes we are healed. How is this person punished? Well, uh, oftentimes they were whipped in order to get their backs so sore. And uh, what we don't realize that even in Mel Gibson's movie, it did not do it justice because the whip they had they had on bones or stone, and when it hit that, when it hit the flesh of the back, it would split open the back, and the muscles and the veins would be popping out. You want to put that against a hard tree, trying to push yourself up? It's a horrible thing. But I find it interesting. It's like you know, Jesus was whipped thirty-nine times. I don't think it's a coincidence that Isaiah says, "By his stripes, we." are healed pretty amazing um and why is why is this person going through this it says that god has laid on him the iniquity of us all he took our sins past present and future that's pretty amazing that he did that for us now um how did this person handle this punishment i think pretty amazingly uh, in verse 7 of Isaiah, it said, He was led a lamb to the slaughter, and sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not even open up his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shears. It was silent. I'll be honest with you. If I'm on a cross, I'm going to say, they did it. You know, before Abraham, I, was I am? No, I was just meeting a metaphor. You know, I would be saying, I'd go for a plea deal, right then and there. But think about it. He did not open his mouth. I would have. Wouldn't have you? I would have made a deal. Hey, no, not me. I, you know, but it's truly amazing what he did. Now, this person in Isaiah 53, he is going to die here. It says in verse 8, he was cut off from the land of the living. Don't you think that means he dies? I think so. talks about in verse 9, he was cut off from the land of the living, and he is in the grave. I think we can make the assumption that he is dead. But what's amazing is verse 9, he signed a grade with the wicked and with the rich in his death. 
I don't think the Gospels could have made this up, that when he was in the cross, there was two criminals there. Now, normally in Jewish history, if you were crucified, there were mass graves. They took Jesus and Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy, rich man, a man in the Sanhedrin or the Jewish high court, he takes this body and he buries it in his family tomb. A rich man. I think that's truly amazing. Uh, I want to share with you a couple verses in Isaiah 52, verse 13. We didn't read these, but uh, many Jewish scholars believe that the Isaiah prophecy starts in uh, verse, 13, verse 12 and 13. When it says, Isaiah says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. You know what? That sounds like a Messiah to me. Highly exalted, well-known, lifted up. You know, John 15, 37, he comes in on Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He is the king of Israel. Four days later, they're crucifying him. Now, this next verse, I could not understand as a new believer. Because it says, just as there were many appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. And I, I couldn't get that. I mean, yes, Jesus was crucified, but there had to be somebody out there that was so beaten and so, you know, face demolished that it was beyond anything. And I was reading Isaiah 53 verse 4, and I got my answer. He was marred beyond any human being because he took all of our sin and sickness. Think about this. If he died for our sins, he died having our cancer, Ebola, AIDS, influenza, the blue bonnet clay, and that is the only way. I really think that his figurance was beyond worse than anything that we could ever know. Um, when it says in verse 2, this is kind of interesting. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance we should desire. You know, for the past 2,000 years, we everybody wants to know what Jesus looks like. I mean, what did he look like? Was it like the Shroud of Turin? You know, when I grew up, I had Italian friends, and they showed me pictures of Jesus, and I thought he looked like Al Pacino. I mean, they were Italian, you know, Al Pacino. Uh, and then I've spoken in black churches. I've been doing this for 21 years, and... Jesus is black. And then I've been in Chinese churches, and that's not Conf Confucius on the wall. That's Jesus. You know, and I even went to a church. I'm, I'm from South Florida, and there's a lot of Jamaica churches. Did you know Jesus has, was Rastafarian? He had, like, dreadlocks and everything. But um, I think it's pretty amazing. We all want to look like Jesus. But I, there's a reason why that his appearance is just normal. Because I think if Jesus looked like Tom Cruise or George Clooney, I think would be attracted to that. But they were attracted to who he was inside, his soul and what he had to do. Now, this next part I'm going to show you, I don't know if you ever knew this, but Isaiah 53 talks about the resurrection of the dead. And you're like, oh, how could that be? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, in verse, it says... In verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer and make his offering, make his life an offering for sin. Okay, we got that. It's Jesus. He's died on the cross. He died for the sins of the world. He suffered. But we miss these next few verses. This person who's dead, you agree he's dead, right? He's in a grave. He's dead. 
he will see his offspring and he will prolong his days. How's that going to happen if this guy's dead? It says, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. How does this happen? How does a person prolong his days? How does he see his offspring? By the way, you and I are his offspring. He does this because the tomb is not empty. He is risen from the dead. He has taken away the sin of death. And as the song goes, because he lives, we can see tomorrow. Also, this also talks about uh, justification. And it talks about in that verse that he is justifies. Um, verse 11, it says, After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Now, being Jewish, I kind of have a little heads up on you that I know that in the Hebrew, light of life means resurrection. So think about this. I'll say it again. After he has suffered, we will see the resurrection. And he will be satisfied by the knowledge of my righteous servant who will justify many. My favorite Christian word, when I finally knew what it meant, I first went to church, they're like, justification, sanctification, born again. I had no idea what they're talking about. But now that I know justification is a legal declaration from God that we are not guilty and it's permanent and our sins are forgiven past, present, future, that's what this risen person is giving us. Our sins are forgiven. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith by his knowledge, or we have been justified by faith through him, we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. We're justified. We are not guilty. We are right with God. There's nothing that we can do to lose that salvation. Uh, so also, if you notice, if suffered, he will see the light of life and he will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Now, I didn't do very well in seventh grade English, but I do know will is past tense. He will. This person that died, he, he will justify many, and that is really good news. So, Isaiah 53, talking about somebody who was high and lifted up, now he is marred beyond any likeness. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53 said, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. I think if you are intellectually honest at all, I cannot see how any person can read that passage. Yes, I am biased, but I don't see how any person can read this passage and say they're not it's not Jesus. And I've had many opportunities to witness the Jewish people. There's this one guy I met at church, and he goes up to me. He goes, I'm Jewish. I don't believe in Jesus. Here's my phone number. Call me. And that, that never happens. <laughs> you know, I'm chasing down people on emails and trying to get them to meet with me. But I met with this guy for like four months, and I, I shared with the gospel. And then finally, I just said, this book just came out. And I said, hey, you want to read this book, Isaiah 53? The next week, 
he came back. He's like, yeah, I accepted Jesus as my Messiah. I'm like, what? I said, you know, what, you know I've been working really hard, you know, trying to get you. He said, he's like, actually, this book is so powerful because I realized something, that as a Jewish person, my sins can't be forgiven because the temple's been destroyed for all, almost, you know, 1400 and I don't know how 30 years or something like that since 70 AD and there's no way to make an atonement and you know Leviticus 17 11 says God has given you to make an atonement for your souls it's by reason of the blood it's the blood that makes an atonement sorry it's not being a good person it's not giving a charity you know it's the blood and Jewish people had no way to make that exchange for blood and that's why it makes so much sense when Jesus in John 2, uh, he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And my translation is the Jewish people said, you're Meshuggah, you're crazy. It took us 46 years to build it. But when he rose from the dead, guys, he is the burnt offering. He is the sin offering. He is the guilt offering. He's the peace offering. He really has fulfilled the law. And um, I just want to tell you a little bit about my ministry that, uh, you know, I witness to Jewish people a lot. And if you wanted to take, if you want to take a moment, just pull this out. And I want to ask you guys, we're going to rip this on a count of three, this last section. And I've been told by Rabbi Leopold Cohen, who started Chosen Peaceful Ministry, that if any congregation rips this on exactly the count of three, it'll usher in the second coming of the Messiah. <laughs> So no pressure whatsoever. Ready? One, two, three, four, five. Uh, Pastor Brian, I think I better come back next year. We're here. Um, I hope you fill this out and uh, just stay connected with me. I want to. I have a tough job reaching, you know, seven hundred fifty thousand Jewish people. But more Jewish people are believing in Jesus now than any time in the last two thousand years. Um, we've got a lot of great responses of hundreds of Jewish people that are curious about Jesus. And I used, I used to had I had a visit with this doctor, and he's into that Kabbalah that I was telling you about. And he would say, God is light. And I'd say, yeah, well, Jesus is the light of the world. And he would say, well, God, God reveals himself in ten emanations like glory and kingship, like little gigantic, like little, I don't know, little bubbles that come down to earth. And I said, really? Because Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus said, you know, I am the word God made flesh. And, and, you know, he didn't know what to say after that. So pray for him. His name's Dr. Levy. And if you fill this out, uh, you'll get our newsletter. If you ever feel led to give to the work to the Jewish people that I do, you can get an envelope in the mail and put it in, and it would be a blessing. Also, if you fill this out, even if you don't um, give anything at all this weekend, uh, we'll send you a free book. And it's called From the Ancient People. It's our founder, um, Leopold Cohen. He had an interesting story. He started to read in Daniel 9, and it said that the, uh, Daniel 9 and the Messiah had to come before the second temple was destroyed. So this Rabbi Cohen in, in Hungary did on a search, you know, where's the Messiah? And one of his friends, rabbi friends, said, go to New York City, you know, you'll find it. You know, go to New York, you'll find anything you want. So he went there, and he was walking along in the Holy Land, which was Brooklyn, and uh, he looked, and he saw to the right a Jewish star. And what he did is he went into this uh, meeting, and it was a Messianic congregation that just so happens to be speaking Yiddish. 
And that was the only language that he really knew. So he got radically born again. Uh, final thing I just want to selfishly tell you about this book. Uh, this is called From Tradition to Eternity, written by Greg Sabat. Great author, great guy. Um, it's a Jewish man's journey to following the Messiah. It's not just my testimony. It's like amazing encounters I've had with Jewish people the past 21 years, how they come to the Lord. You get to read about a famous debate I had with a rabbi. You get to learn about Messianic prophecy and also how to witness the Jewish people. So you'd see they only gave me 20 minutes in those breakout sections. So you can get a lot more here in the book from yesterday. But uh, I, Pastor, I just want to say I've been so blessed this weekend. Not only did I um, got my bucket list of my name and uh, my, my interview and my name at the sign at the airport, but I am so encouraged about your church and uh, your love for missions. And um, I just want to tell you, I've been to a lot of different churches over 21 years, different denominations, and the ones that are the healthiest give to missions. So I just know that your church is so healthy, and I, I am honored to be here with, I mean, my brothers and sisters. I mean, wh where else can you get a Jewish Christian and a converted Muslim? I mean, this is, you know, only Jesus could do something like that. And that we're brothers in Christ, that we are, we who normally would be enemies are united by our love in Christ. And that's truly special. So thank you guys very much.